so much for tuning in and welcome everyone. Hope you're well. I'm your host, Ben Lively, and you're listening to Shaken Awake, episode number six. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in wherever you are and whatever you're doing right this very moment. Looks like in addition to Brazil, we finally got some listeners from Canada. Always welcome our friends and neighbors up there in Canada to join us. Welcome. And as always, I promise you another great show, but more than anything, my hope for you today and always is that you have an actual encounter with the Lord. He is always right there with you, even when you think he's not. So let's just get ready to invite him in with us right here, right now, and allow him to speak directly to your heart and minds. So let's get right into the heart of today's topic, shall we? Today, we're going to be discussing a major topic. What does having a relationship with Jesus Christ mean and why it's vital for your life and for your eternity? It remi- I just want to remind you of a, a picture I described in last week's episode uh, with all the people in seven lines, their heads are lowered in, in wait for their turn at the judgment podium while there's a few in, in bright glowing white heads held high, also waiting their turn. And it's labeled judgment day. And underneath it states, on that day, it will not matter how popular you are, the riches and possessions you have acquired will be meaningless. Your opinion, culture, race, or religion will not matter. On that day, only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is all that will matter. So the thing is, in that picture, two comes, uh, two things come to my mind instantly. A, the largest majority, those in the gray-looking, somber mode all realize that it's too late and they know where they're headed for eternity. And those few in white also know where they're going for eternity, but they were once in the dark and gray themselves. The only thing that differentiated them between those going to hell and them was their relationship to Christ, just as they were taken home. So this picture actually signifies what's happened and is happening on earth this very second And what happens every second, people are brought before him to be sent somewhere prior to the final judgment day. The only thing that separates the saved from the unsaved is their true relationship to Jesus Christ. That's it. So I want to first make a quick personal distinction between what we think is a relationship and from what a true relationship actually is. One reason is because in order to know where we're going, we first need to understand where we are. So Merriam-Webster's definition of a relationship is the state of being related or interrelated. Uh, Study the relationship between the variables, the relation connecting or binding participants in a relationship, such as a kinship, a state of affairs existing between those having relationship or dealings An example, Mary had a good relationship with her family or be a romantic or passionate attachment. So let's explore this further. Even the dictionary, in my opinion, is extremely vague or better put, it leaves much to interpretation and discretion. So let's come to a common definition or agreement on what a relationship truly is before we move on any further. Sound fair? I promise this is going to help unlock some spiritual light bulbs today as God and the Holy Spirit did for me. I would believe and hope that all of us here would agree that a true relationship with someone would include the following. 
a two-way communication, mutual respect, truthful, forthcoming, open and honest, respectful towards one another, being there for one another, effective together, always striving to be better, concerned about the health, welfare, and happiness of the other, obedient in promises made, striving to always meet commitments made. It's more than knowing just about the other, but knowing intimately the other and striving to know them better over time. Putting the other's interests first, seeking to understand the other person always, when in doubt, always asking, encouraging one another, both providing value to the other, preferably equal. The one always makes the other one, quote unquote, better, stronger, happier because of the relationship. Oftentimes includes love if it's a personal relationship, but non, non-professional, of course. Putting forth effort for the other, even when it's not ideal for the one. Thinking about the other before making decisions that impact one or both. Devotion to putting time, effort, energy, and or resources to the other and for the other person. Not giving up on the other person, making the other person a priority in life. Will cease and strive to prevent actions or activity that harms, offends, disrespects, or angers or saddens the other, seeks to provide for the needs and desires of the other, seeking to grow and mature and advance a relationship wherever and whenever possible. You know, I could I could keep going and adding to this list as I'm sure most of you could as well. Would you agree? So then forget about what we know about relationships. I'd rather hear and seek to understand what the word of God says about having a relationship with Jesus. I want and need to understand how much of what I believe to know is true about a relationship actually aligns with the word of God. Otherwise, it's a worldly definition of mine and it's meaningless, uh, correct? So I want to know what the Holy Spirit inspired these men to write regarding this relationship need for Christ. I want to hear what Christ Jesus said himself about having a relationship with him. And I know, I definitely want to know what God himself breathed into these pages that are still alive today as they were over 2,000 years ago, don't you? And let's do it, here we go. So fellowship, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. So fellowship in 1 John 1, 6 and 7 states, if we say we have a fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what does a relationship with God look like? Well, Revelations chapter three, verse 20 says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He stands at the door of your life and your heart and he knocks. He tries to get your attention in some way or many ways. So if you hear his voice, you must open the door. Allow him in and make your heart his home. For if and when you finally do, he will eat with you and you with him. It does not refer to eating as in a meal. 
It means to give and receive life. Eat this bread, which is in memory of me. He is the bread of life. That is what you share with him. Eternal life. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves you so much that he came down in human form to save the world, not condemn it. He knew the price of those sins. Our sins was death, which is hell. He knew the source of those sins were you and I. And since he couldn't bear the thought of eternity without your eye, he chose the nails on a tree with him on it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Those that do not will experience death. That's hell. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33 goes in, But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. So listening, who knows what he's asked of you in order to listen to what he said. He, he, he wants peace, no fear of harm, yet he states he freely gives it to them who listen to him. Listen to what? Him. How much of what he's asked you to actually know do you do? How do you listen to someone who you can't hear or that you pay very little or no direct attention to? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever wishes to be my follower must deny himself, take up his cross each day and follow in my footsteps, says Jesus. What does this mean? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow in his footsteps. What does this even mean? If we don't know, how then can we begin to obey and follow his commands and have eternal life? How can you believe in something or someone, or in this case, have a relationship with someone if you do not know or understand? You can't. It's literally, figuratively, and spiritually impossible. So let's break this awesome verse down. I believe it It certainly holds the key to unlocking eternal life with him in heaven. So deny self. Denying self requires us, requires us to give up anything that we would want or seek that would hinder our doing the will of God. This does not mean that if we want something, it's necessarily wrong. It means must we, we have to take our wants and desires down from the throne and place Jesus and his will as the governing power in our lives. There is room in each life for only one master. It says it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. And if God is to rule in our lives, then our will must be made subservient to his. We must be willing to give up anything in life in order to please God. That's in Romans chapter 12, one and two, Matthew chapter six, verse 33, Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 33, second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14 and 15. Look them up. If God is to rule in our lives and our will must be made subservient to his, we must be willing to give up anything in life in order to please who? 
to please God. So taking up your cross, it refers to giving your whole life to God as Jesus was about to give his for us. This involves bearing burdens, but it's deeper than that. It's a total dedication of life. Our whole life is given to his service in anything he says. This will lead us to willingly deny ourselves. Following him then requires us to live as he lived his life. And this is explained in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. So Luke adds, take up your cross daily in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. There's a sense in which Christians must give their lives to God every day. This is not necessarily a physical death as Jesus died for us, but a daily total sacrifice of self to do the will of Jesus. So whatever he wants to do with my life is what must be done with it. What I want no longer matters, but I give myself to him just as he gave himself for us despite the fact his human nature did not want to have to do it. There's a plethora of chapters and books and verses on this very subject. The determination to give our lives to God's service is called repentance. In repentance, In repenting, we determine to turn away from our own will and live our lives to please God. We cannot be saved without this. And that is why repentance is so important in salvation. It also explains why so many people are not truly Jesus' disciples, whether or not they may claim to be his disciples because they're not willing to make this total sacrifice. And lose your life for Jesus, the next verse. It helps us understand Jesus's point and it strengthens the application. So if a person holds his life so dear to himself that he wants to use it to please himself, do his own will, accomplish his own purposes, rather than denying self and serving God, that person will in the end lose his life eternally. But anyone who loses their lives for Jesus' sake, give it in service and sacrifice to God by denying himself as, as described. Such a man will save his life by gaining eternal life. There can be no greater or, or clearer teaching anywhere of the meaning of being a disciple. This is how our master lived. So this is how his disciples must live. We must live lives of complete and total submission to the will of God. So in John chapter 17, verse three, it states, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom have sent you. Do you or we know him or do we know about him? It says right there that this being truly knowing the true God and Jesus Christ, that is eternal life. That, you know, that's how I was shaken awake to know that John 3, 16, those that believe in him meant and means so much more than to believe in him or of him, but to know him truly and any other way is death. It's hell. John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Well, if, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have access to the Father. If you don't have access to the Father, you do not inherit the kingdom of the Father. So when Jesus speaks to those that didn't have a relationship with him, he tells us, he said that it, and will say to each one, depart from me, I never knew you. This is what he meant. So it's the reverse. He knew of you, but he didn't know you. He didn't have a relationship with you, nor with him. It's right there in front of our nose. Romans chapter six, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord. Main point, eternal life is in Christ Jesus. To be in Christ Jesus means to be in relationship with him. And in John chapter three, verse three, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is another one that shook me awake. This is in addition to what John 3, 16 states, not a supplement to or replacing, but defining what true and truly believe in Jesus Christ actually means by way of action, not just talk. Born again, the act of repentance following the belief of Jesus Christ's death, resurrection, and not being of the world, although you'll be in the world. So when one is born again, his or her old self is shed and the new is born. You don't go back to the old once reborn. That's called backslider. Most would would, uh, consider that a loss in the faith or more accurately stated, they were never truly saved to begin with. This verse proves it and has not led to interpretation. Jesus didn't say this to uh, trick us, but to teach us so that 2,000 plus years later, we can still understand it completely, but it's up to us individually to take it to heart and soul and actually do it. Reading or knowing is not doing. Doing is doing. Are you? In Isaiah chapter 59, verse two, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. What does this mean? Iniquity. It means injustice, wickedness, or sin. And sin causes a separation between God and a believer. While sin doesn't disconnect us from our justified status, It prevents us from enjoying close fellowship with the Lord. But when we confess our post-salvation sins, we are returned into the fellowship with the Father. Furthermore, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you had. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsaken you. So there's nothing here uh, is left to interpret or misinterpretation rather. He wants you to lean on him to have a real and true contentment. Nothing in life deserves your love or attention more than he does. For what is money without him? First John chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in a true relationship, 
past mistakes are forgiven, meaning the slate is wiped clean and there's no more remembrance, mention, ill will, retaliation, rebuke, or scolding or punishment. If you're truly forgiven in a true relationship, do you continue doing the things that you were forgiven for? Do you continue repeatedly doing the thing that you were forgiven for? Cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Cleansing means to wash away permanently. Not to wash unrighteous to make room for more or more of the same. It's not a season pass to do whatever you want, when you want, how you want, without punishment. Right? So in John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Once again, we come to a verse that had been right in front of my nose my entire life. And I didn't take note of it. My negligence is and was no excuse for not knowing what the creator and father had demanded me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. This helped me realize the impact and matter of factness over what the world says and what God states. One is a false sense of non-reality, but sounds good. The other is direct, very serious, but is true. And what's more, my eternity, your eternity, depends on receiving and listening and obeying these words. Well, the opposite of this verse indicates the one who doesn't listen or obey does not truly love Jesus, nor will the Father love him, nor will they come and become one with them. I mean, really powerful truths here. Wouldn't you agree? In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So this is what we receive when we have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. After all, most people, true Christians or not, all want a good future and hope. It's what most people seek after most, comfort, safety, assurance, future, and hope. Yet that's what he's planned for you and those that have true relationship with him. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So when you have a true relationship with God and you humble yourself and not look at your own strength, which in reality is weakness, but rather look for his might to seek comfort in, you can safely and assuredly cast all your anxieties on him. What does this mean? Exactly what it says. Life without anxiety is also one thing in life we all seek, no? Yet how many of us live with it constantly. But if you have a true relationship or when you have a true relationship with Christ, this is his promise to you to cast all your anxiety on him. Because why? Because he cares for you. He's not just a a faraway judge with a big name that's inscribed all inside this one book called the Bible. He is the mighty God, the one with the power to save and heal and protect. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, I appeal to, you, uh, appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how many of us right now are conformed to this world? Think about that truth for, uh, truthfully for a moment. And I'm not implying anything on any listener listening in right now. On a day-to-day, week-to-week, are you conformed to this world or to him alone? He asked us to be transformed or changed by renewing, which is wiping clean, starting over with a clear conscience and mindset for him and a willingness to reconform ourselves to fit the spiritual, spiritual world with him, not the worldly world of darkness that we're in. This is the only way we will know and choose what is the right thing to do for God versus what the world deems is quote unquote right, which we ought to know by now is typically and usually polar opposites. So, you know, remembering the words of uh, Charles Spurgeon, the preacher of preachers, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between what's right and what is almost right. So in Romans chapter three, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This gives great comfort, by the way. We're not alone. All means all. We have all fallen short. We all fall short in our true relationships. But what do we do when we fall short? We don't continue abusing sin, but we seek to repair and get closer. This is not a pass to continue falling short. For in a true relationship, that would be considered abuse. And it is. John chapter 15, verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This explains how we are to be in a true relationship with Christ. We are to be one with him as the branches and vines signify. So a sign that you abide in him and he in you is clearly spelled out here. The one who bears much fruit. If you don't produce any, as he clearly states, it's because you're apart from him. You can't. So if you can, but don't, why is that? Think about that. John chapter 15, verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This was and still is an incredible revelation. And to me, another shaken awake moment in total and complete awe. What he's saying is a true relationship with him. The Almighty is a friendship and true friendship so that we're not slaves to him, but friends. Only friends share and reveal the most sacred of secrets and uh, reveal the most uh, you know, the innermost secrets of their heart. And here we are being the, offered the same by Jesus to impart to us what God has imparted to him. 
as a friend would relay, not as a master would not to a servant. So this goes to show the value Jesus places in return for being in a true relationship with him. He elevates your title from servant to friend. That's incredible, guys. Guys, what what kind of true relationship do you actually have right this very moment with Jesus? And more importantly, how would Jesus describe your relationship with him? So next week, tune in next Sunday evening or whenever you're able as we dive into part two of today's hot topic. What does having a relationship with Jesus Christ mean and why it's vital for your life and for eternity? And here's another mini teaser. It's not going to be just more of the same. We're going to take it up a few notches on this powerfully potent subject. One of the true ways to have a true relationship with Christ is also found right inside the Lord's prayer. We're going to break it down together and so much more. You do not want to miss next week's so. So just don't, okay? So before we end today's show, I just want to thank you all again for tuning in. And I hope you were touched by God through today's message and scripture. Once again, if you could do me a huge favor, would you go right now to whichever podcast app you're listening through today? Just give me a quick star rating. And if you want to go the extra mile for Christ, put a quick review in. It takes 15, 20 seconds. I'd love that help and support from you guys. And it'll allow the Lord and the Holy Spirit to reach even more lives through this broadcast. If you would like to get a hold of me, you can write me a note on www.shaken-awake.com forward slash contact. You can also email me directly at ben at shakenawake.com or even call or text me directly for any reason at 407-493-3208. Again, that number is 407-493-3208. I want feedback. I want your questions. I love ideas. I'd love to get some requests, even criticisms, corrections. I want it all. So if you'd like to be a guest of the show, please reach out to me as well. If you have a life and or eternity changing story that you'd like to share, please let me know and I will schedule you right in. We don't hear enough of the truth these days or the positive ways of God and Jesus Christ these days. This podcast with you and your help is going to help change that up. I'd love for your help with this where you can. Until next week, take great care of yourself and each other, and God bless you all.